0: Teaching is our passion. We at the Wall Street Skinny are proud to announce that we've joined the advisory board for the iConnections Funds for Teachers initiative, focused on supporting the Ron Clark Academy and its pioneering teaching methods. Through Funds for Teachers, iConnections is dedicated to empowering educators nationwide by providing access to RCA's professional development opportunities. Events are being organized in major cities throughout the year to fundraise and support this incredibly important cause. All proceeds from these events will be directly donated to the Ron Clark Academy, specifically to financially aid teachers so they can participate in RCA's groundbreaking training programs. Please click on the link in our show notes to register for an event in the city nearest you. This is The Wall Street Skinny, a podcast devoted to exploring the financial services industry and making the world of Wall Street accessible to everyone.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Wall Street Skinny with Kristen and Jen. So, this is hopefully going to be our first video podcast, which we'll see if that happens. But anyway, this is Kristen here, and uh, I'm Jen. Jen. And so, yeah, we're going to post all of these
0: recorded podcasts on our fledgling YouTube channel. Which... Seven subscribers. <laughs> Guys, we love you. All seven of you. Hey, we started with only... every Everyone starts with seven. Zero. So, exactly. You'll understand why we chose this as our first video podcast, um, because we are interviewing someone who is in the news. Yes. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get to that in a second. But first of all, Kristen, how are you doing? I noticed that the background behind you is conspicuously empty as you prepare for your upcoming yeah. move.
1: We're trying to declutter and organize a little bit. It is not going as efficiently as it should be, but we have uh, seven days left until the movers start coming and taking packing up all of our stuff. So it's getting real. Also, you're showing your place, right? To we perspective are, yes. writers. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's actually probably the, the, the bigger reason why. So we oh my listed God, our... Like, hang on. What
0: did you do? I had a clump of hair in my mouth. Like, what is going <laughs> on? Are I seriously... Okay. Let's be real here for two seconds. If you're looking at me, like I don't look like someone at least who like planned to be on video today. <laughs> I spent the past two nights in the ER with my youngest son. Um, and thank God it is not for anything bad. He is totally fine. But I got home at 3.30 in the morning and this isn't like cute 3.30 in the morning like when you're in college and you're like, oh my God, I got back so late. Ah. This was 3.30 in the morning after being in the ER. I'm exhausted. I just, whatever. So, I mean, this is... Uh, This is us, right? Like, this is just mom life. And Kristen and I... Creepily decided to wear the same outfits today. So I know, the company uniform showed is in full up and I was
1: like, Well, it's it's terrible too because I feel like it's the Steve Job, like Elizabeth Holmes. Like it wasn't even, I just really happened to like the color black and you I look love like hollow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. But no, so we we were showing our apartment. It was listed, I think, last Thursday. So we show our apartment this weekend. The problem is that with three children, they just <clears throat> get into everything. So it takes us. Roughly three to four hours to clean up before each showing. (laughs) We had one showing on like two different days, though. Collectively, it was about eight hours worth of cleanup. Oh uh, wow On top of pack, and anyway, it's a dude. I get it. It is no joke getting your place ready
0: for a showing when you've got little kids. I remember we just go in
1: and take it all out. We call Grace our one year old the destroyer. She just pulls everything out.
0: Right, right, right. Well, I think you guys will definitely probably have more success listing it vacant and maybe maybe staged. Yes. But yeah. So anyways, I'm a zombie today and, uh, and Kristen, you're looking great. And we're working on our setups. If you have any recommendations on equipment that we should get, we have been doing this on a shoestring budget and the shoestrings are still intact. Okay. We don't want to break the bank here, but if you guys have recommendations on how we can do this properly, I think we're ready to bite the bullet. Well, we're definitely getting investment. we need new
1: mics. We need new
0: mics. So Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about our interviewee today? Because this is someone that you had very strong feelings about and introduced me to. Like a fangirl. Yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. This is someone who I have been following for quite a while now. We've historically talked about how in this information overload era, we all need to find people that we trust, people who can synthesize data, break it down, and then explain things to us in an easy fashion. And so this person, his name is Moshe, he is the founder of Mo News and he has this amazing Instagram and podcast and like newsletter where he basically is providing people with the news but again doing it in a very smart way that is breaking things down i think their tagline is we we read all the news so you don't have to and this is so exciting for us yeah. and it's <laughs> and it's wonderful to find people whose
0: missions i think echo ours in different mm-hmm sectors. So you know, our goal here is to break everything down about the financial services industry in layman's terms and give it to you in digestible pieces in a kind of relatable format. And what Mo is doing with the news is doing that same process via social media, via his newsletter, taking all the news from different sources, synthesizing it down into bite-sized nuggets so that you don't have to go out in today's day and age, like you said, Kristen, and read 10 different newspapers Mm -hmm. and listen to 10 different TV shows and all that stuff. If you trust him, and we'll kind of get into that in the podcast about trust in the news and in these institutions in the modern era. But if you trust him or someone like him, having that kind of facilitator who can synthesize all that information down for you is invaluable. It's invaluable not only for you just walking around as a human, as a responsible citizen, but it's especially invaluable if you are in the markets and if you are in the financial services industry. Because the Mm -hmm. news is ultimately, at the end of the day, the lever that is moving markets, that is explaining Mm -hmm. why people do trades, and that is influencing how money changes hands and global wealth gets created. So we're going to bring him on here in just a second. And we're going to work on this little video transition because I don't, full disclosure, I don't know how to do this, like not awkwardly as we're about to have like someone's face pop in. So maybe we'll do like a little fade out or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, Hey, how's it going?
2: Good, good. I uh, I was trying to follow the rules. You're like, 9 no. 10 a.m. <laughs> We're doing really important things on Riverside. And State as a...
0: secrets are being exchanged.
2: Did you see the reports about Meghan Markle and what she was up to on her podcast? No, no. That her producers did the interviews on her behalf, and then they would. <gasps> have her ask the questions after the fact to make it sound like well you can
0: attest to the fact that not only were we sitting here fumbling and like sweating and looking crazy the whole time but uh...
2: (laughs) you yes uh, I vow uh, that you were here (laughs) the entire time and you did not pull on Meghan Markle.
0: Guys, we are joined here today by Mosh Wanunu, who is an incredibly talented journalist who has worked all over the industry and now operates your own news station, but via social media platforms. You also have a newsletter and an associated channel, correct? Did I capture kind of the media universe that you've got going? Your empire?
2: yes, as of June
0: 2023. Um, The theme that we want to explore today, I mean, aside from just learning about you, learning about your background, is really how we take the massive amount of noise out there and distill news from it. So for me, I worked more on the sales and trading and markets side of the industry. Kristen worked more on the corporate finance side of the industry, certainly on the side that I worked on, but also in in corporate finance as well. It's so critical to understand what are the big levers moving the markets. I had no background in econ or finance or anything like that, but had to learn very quickly, okay, if this economic data release comes out, what does it mean for the market? And if the market doesn't move in that way, what does that mean? All of those things were much more important to understanding what was driving prices, what was driving trades, what was driving wealth creation, then understanding like, well, if you look into this equation, in you know, you've got the, the denominator. Like that stuff, once you've got those concepts down, understanding what is driving decision making and investing and risk appetite, that was the most critical thing that I was responsible for in my job. And I think it's something that really can't be taught in school I mean again as an English major my whole job putting together my thesis was like all right I'm gonna flip through the brothers Karamazov and look for like the five quotes that explain what I'm trying to explain in this paper right how do you do that for the world only you're not looking through a 770 page book, you're looking through every conceivable news source, I'm guessing, like, how do you get your information? How do you get your edge? I'm sorry, I just asked you 10 different questions. Also, like, what's the secret to cold fusion?
2: Okay, noted, <laughs> noted. We'll take off every one of those. We live in a time where like, you just mentioned, you know, English literature, like I feel like it's a Dickens novel. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times, right? <laughs> we have the most information, we have the least information. We have the best <clears throat> information, we have the worst information. And that's sort of where we live in 2023. It's so interesting because even as a, I think officially I'm an elder millennial born Yeah, in yeah, yeah, It's good yeah. company, yep. yep. Okay, good. So I'm in good company here because like, we know a world before the internet, or at least yeah. before right. the modern iteration of the internet, yeah. mm-hmm. when like a newspaper was thrown on our driveway. Right? Oh, yeah.
0: my dad right? still, my dad loves us and still gets a newspaper. But yes, yes, there were those days too. And there's
2: something quaint. And by the way, we're like the last generation Every generation subsequent to us will never understand that, where your information came via ink and paper Mm -hmm. in the morning. So we live now, and it's like, oh, my God, there's just so much out there, which is Mm -hmm. great and yet overwhelming. Like, I sit here with, like, 50 news apps, and I like to start grand and then go small. I find... Based on my experience in in news, what are the most reliable sources out there Mm -hmm. that I trust for my information? And this, again, speaks to kind of the old-school nature. So there's wire services Mm -hmm. called the Associated Press, Reuters, Bloomberg, Dow Jones. Yep. And back in the pre-internet era, they were your first source. Like, if you were in a newsroom, you subscribe to a wire service. They used to come in way back in the day. This is pre-my time, via teletype. Uh Uh-huh. And then came online. And they're just dropping things, dropping, dropping things. It's a famous story during the Kennedy assassination. There's a wire service called UPI, which is sort of still around. And there was one phone available and it was the UPI versus AP report trying to get to the phone to report the Kennedy assassination. The Kennedy has been shot. And the UPI reported it first because their literal reporter was quicker to the phone. That's that a phenomenal story. And it came via wire. And then if you were in the CBS newsroom, Walter Cronkite was reading it off the wires. Yep. And, and that's the way that it worked. And so to this day in 2023, APnews.com, Reuters.com, Bloomberg.com. To me, they have thousands of reporters around the world. People depend on them for straightforward, non-biased, non-partisan, as you can get, Right. are the first places I turn. Mm-hmm. Then there's the traditional national publications that I think do a solid job. The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Certainly there is bias in terms of their story selection, their headline right. selection, their photo right. selection. That requires a slightly more nuanced reading. Globally, I think the the BBC uh, does a great job. I think Sky does a good job in Europe. Uh, Al Jazeera in the Middle East. But you got to read that knowing that it's the Qatari government Mm -hmm. that's reporting on that. So he is friendlier to Iran and Hamas and doesn't like Saudi as much. So there's politics you need to read into the types of stories they're doing. I can go around the world, and you know, there's the South China Morning Post.
0: Like I'm reading the South China Morning Post every morning instead of the New York Post. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the South China Morning Post is a SCMP. I think they do straight a straightforward job. They're out of Hong Kong, but of course, with China taking over Hong Kong in recent years, mm-hmm. it's become obviously much more China-friendly. They can't be as independent. Yep. So this is a long way of saying, you know, I have trusted sources in each region, and then of course. Regionally, statewide, if we we're talking yeah. domestic news, there's certain publications, the Tennesseean in Tennessee, the uh, Dallas Morning News out of Dallas, the Houston Chronicle, the LA Times. Now, some local publications have fallen on harder times. Mm-hmm. Uh, just They've had such major cutbacks, et cetera, so that's been difficult. And yeah. the last thing, and this speaks to your world, financial news. Mm-hmm. They have to get it right, because people are literally making billion-dollar yeah. decisions. Right. Yeah. So that speaks, again, to uh, Bloomberg. Even the way CNBC.com writes up stuff, And the journal, I think, is this way as well. Like, major traders, the richest people in the world are making the biggest financial decisions in the world based on their reporting. you got to have the facts without the bias. Mm -hmm.
0: This is obviously an overwhelming amount of reading to process every morning. You know, it's funny. When I used to work on the trading floor, I sat down with a high school girlfriend at, like, a girl's trip. And she was working for Teach for America. And she was like, when you come in in the morning, what do you do? And I was like, the first thing I do is I go through all the news. But she's like... But how do you go through all that news? And I was like, well, actually, it's funny. There used to be this guy, John Dunnigan at Lehman Brothers, who would put together a sheet every morning called The Black and Blue. And it would be the headlines and everything broken down of all the most important articles. I would have a Bloomberg monitor, you know what I'm saying? So I would get the top stories that way. Like everything had already almost been condensed down for me. You are doing this independently, right? You are filtering all 80 of these sources into whatever it is that you're going to then say, hey, listen, I think this is the news today. How do you do that? How do you go through all that information? (laughs) I mean, you're only one man.
2: It's funny. One of the first jobs you do in any journalism internship, especially in TV. So I did an internship at ABC News and then Fox News while I was an undergrad at GW Uh in D.C. Mm -hmm. And they're like, monitor the news and let us know what's interesting. Literally, it was my first job. So you build
0: that as your first skill.
2: That basically, yeah. I mean, uh-huh. my first full-time job out of undergrad was as a researcher for Chris Wallace, Fox News oh, wow. Sunday. Yeah. And so he would host the Sunday morning show and have to interview, at the time, it was like Condi Rice and Dick Cheney and George mm-hmm. W. Bush, and it was mm-hmm. the Warner Rock and Katrina and whatnot. And I'd come in at 3.30 in the morning on Sundays. By the way, I was like 23, so I was going out all night on Saturday night, <laughs> right, so right, there right, was right, no right. sleep. <laughs> yep. And I was like, oh, they're not going to smell the vodka. And I was like... <laughs> Happy you know what you're doing because I know what you were up to last night. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I come in there and I'm going through the papers, and my job is to like make sure the anchor, when he comes in at 6 a.m., okay, how are we updating our interview with, you know, Vladimir Putin or Dick Cheney? About, and I'm right. like, okay, well, they're reporting this. He's like, I don't care. They're reporting this. Oh, that's interesting. They're reporting this. Mm. And so a lot of my initial training was literally trying to read the world, summarize it for a boss, and then get feedback from these professionals Uh as to like what mattered, what didn't matter, what was the inherent bias of the reporter. Because it's not as simple as the publication. We just discussed publications, right? Sometimes there's a great reporter at a publication you wouldn't otherwise look at. And sometimes there's a terrible reporter at a great publication. And I know that most people just don't have the the time to do this sort of thing. And that is why this sort of started out of COVID. COVID was the first time I wasn't working at a major news organization in 15 years. Mm. I had gone into consulting, was trying to figure out what I was doing next. I was thinking about documentaries. I needed a break. Yeah. I left in 2019. Nine months later, I find myself on the couch like everybody else, like <laughs> yep. watching Fauci briefings and Trump and Cuomo and whatever's yes. going on. And I'm like, wait, where are all my news sources? Where are my internal emails mm-hmm. from the news division? Oh, yeah. I don't have it. And I'm freaking out. And, the and now process- you're in
0: the part of like a regular person who's watching all this stuff too, being like, whom do I trust? What yeah. is real? How is there no one consensus of information on what should be a very straightforward thing? Yeah. So that's how your media empire was born.
2: It was born out of necessity. And frankly, some people are like, well, why did you start on Instagram? I was like, well, I didn't intend for this (laughs) to be a thing. This was a boredom exercise in March of 2020. Uh And kudos to my wife, then girlfriend. I was doing it privately for like 500 friends and family. My Instagram account was like locked, right? And and she's like, this would be really helpful to people. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, I don't know about opening it up, but I open it up. And suddenly I'm like, 500, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, Joe Jonas, Nick Jonas. And I'm like, what just Ah! happened here? Um, And so what was really an exercise for friends and family to like help calm tensions and try to get at the bottom of stuff became, oh, this is not the thing before the next job. This is the next job. This is the next job. That is so cool. We like to call it social first news. We began on Instagram and then expanded the podcast and newsletter and are trying to make our way on the talk the TikTok wow. before it's banned and, and YouTube it's, right now. It's so
1: funny because we've had so much better success on TikTok and Instagram is like so much harder for us. Yeah. Like, like TikTok to is break great. In there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think that's the challenge that all creators are having yeah. right now is growth. And honestly, I have this love hate with Instagram because we're succeeding or have succeeded despite Instagram's goal of not having news Mm -hmm. around. They they want things to be happy, like TikTok. They want the trends to start there. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, what is Moshe's account reporting on? Abortion and death and war. At least you're
1: not explaining how a rate lock works. I mean, just scintillating stuff. But (laughs) I mean, again, that's the thing that's so surprising is on TikTok, we have these videos of like, let's explain a DCF or Jen, like Mm. explaining a rate lock. And people are loving it. And we put it on Instagram. It's like, womp, womp.
2: It's interesting. I saw recently the top ten accounts on each of the platforms: YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. And you can probably recognize nine out of ten, if not ten out of ten, of the names. You know, mm-hmm. on Instagram, right? It's like Kim Kardashian, yeah, right. uh, Ronaldo. Um, and you go over to TikTok, and you're like, I might know three of these people. Right. So yeah. the TikTok algorithm has just been so successful in yes. elevating people. Random
1: unknowns. So, when I was working at my old firm, I would do a lot of programs and I would go to, for example, like a Blackstone. I had a bunch of students who did these courses. And they found me independently later on TikTok. I would get these LinkedIn messages like, hey, I saw you at Blackstone. And then now I've found you on TikTok. <laughs> now you're dancing like, on the internet. <laughs> Are you OK? <laughs> but the algorithm is crazy how it's able to actually find people that want the information.
2: Right. And Congress scary. is investigating it. I know. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary good. <laughs>
1: yeah. It is scary good. Um, but for now, I'll take We'll it. all hop over to, I don't know.
0: Tinder or something and start having the news there. Yes.
2: <laughs> My friends have joked. They're like, when are you starting your OnlyFans news account? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Oh we uh, we found that in thinking about crafting today's episode, so much of what you do with your coverage of the news is what we're trying to do with Wall Street, is break things down in layman's terms and distill what information you actually need to know. You could go read Fabozzi's handbook of fixed income securities until you're blue in the face. And yeah. I don't think you're going to know how to trade an interest rate swap if you do that. I just and... follow what Jim
2: Cramer says.
0: <laughs> you mean the opposite of what Jim Cramer says. I
2: right? love I love the anti-Jim.
0: So I understand that you worked at Bloomberg during the financial crisis of 2008. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that experience was like?
2: Well, it was so interesting. So let's back up here. So I'm at Fox News. I was a um, political reporter on the mm-hmm. campaign trail. I was assigned to the presidential campaign of one Rudy Giuliani. Traveled ah! with him for four months. <laughs> uh huh. Um, people forget he ran for president and. In August of 07, I remember this poll cuz I chose Rudy.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, Fox is like they give me first dibs on the Republicans and I was like who's leading the field? Rudy had 44% of the vote. And this is why every time Rudy was a, a totally poll, different
0: figure in New York back in the day yeah. than he is now. Oh, I he would travel beloved. with
2: him as the Fox reporter and the people seeking his autograph to sign baseballs. I mean this was the post 9/11 Rudy. Right. Yeah. He was a hero yeah. and yeah. it was interesting as we traveled to like Florida in these campaign events and i'd ask around i was like so you're gonna vote for him? They're like oh i'm a democrat well i'm a democrat well i'm a democrat and i talked to his campaign manager i was like you know you have like 300 people in the room but like none of them can vote for him like do you see that as a problem they just like him and they're like no he'll be fine well like, it wasn't no. fine <laughs> right. spoiler alert and so spoiler alert yep. rudy's not fine in yep. so many ways <laughs> and so then i'm assigned to john mccain and travel with john mccain That's uh cool. he's the nominee eventually travel with him and sarah palin mm-hmm. and the collapse really first hits my radar screen in September of 2008. Uh The market's falling apart. There's Lehman Brothers because like bear had happened, didn't really kind of hit the mainstream and Lehman hits in September and we're watching and I'm like, oh my God, I think I took my AP macro in high school. (laughs) I had taken no business courses in college. I'd ended up getting my master's in security policy. So like you want to conflict resolution, diplomacy, like I'm good. I'm like, that seems significant. What's happening?
0: <laughs> Prices up, is. yields down. Got it.
2: <laughs> and I'm like a twenty-five, twenty-six-year-old campaign reporter with the ability to ask the question at the presidential debates. I got Obama there. I got McCain yep. there. Like, oh my god, I need to get smart really quickly on this. And ah. and what's interesting is, first of all, there was no time. It was too late. Motion. You can't. You know i was known in college for like studying the night before i can't say the night before this this requires a lot of knowledge but you also realize that our politicians also had no idea they
0: were in the the same same boat they were in the same boat
2: I remember Congress voting against Bush's initial bailout and then the market punishing, and we're on Capitol Hill, and I'm running around the Capitol because McCain and Obama returned to the Capitol because they were both senators at the time mm-hmm. to try to come up with like the first bailout to save the economy. And Hank Paulson is like, the whole world is going under. We're going to face a Great Depression here. And you got Ben Bernanke, the Fed Reserve Chair, mm-hmm. who's like a historian of the Great Depression. And he's like saying this has echoes, and you're like, oh my god and yeah. we don't know what to ask most of the politicians don't know what to say they haven't been following this stuff right and um you know that was a remarkable wake-up call yeah where you're like oh the emperor has no clothes like right. it's a wizard right. of oz the
0: right. inmates are running the asylum they have no idea how these securities work and by the way yeah. most of the people within these banks don't even know how these securities right. work even at the elite level because they specialize in something else so there's like 10 people globally who understand what's going on
2: so somehow the world is still here, right? And that's <laughs> the spring of 09. And a mentor of mine goes to run Bloomberg television. And he's like, come aboard here. And I was like, well, I have no background in any of this stuff. Uh, I've been trying to figure it out along with our politicians on Capitol Hill.
0: If only ended- you had a podcast to listen to.
2: It was wait, <laughs> Who had a podcast then? Um, and so I get to Bloomberg and now I'm running global international coverage uh, for Bloomberg television out of New York in June of 09. And by the way, I'm still figuring it out. And okay. so now I have the smartest, I mean, people don't know much about a Bloomberg, like some of the smartest human beings work at that organization. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, some of the smartest reporters around the world and Bloomberg has thousands of reporters. They have, I think at the time we were in 85 countries, 110 bureaus. I know it's more because when I was there, they were expanding to Mongolia, mm-hmm. literally a reporter everywhere. Cause the people making the biggest financial decisions have to depend on the Bloomberg mm-hmm. terminal and the network for the coverage. And so, I then just immerse myself with all these reporters who are like, let me explain to you what shorting is. I needed the real 101 Mm -hmm. of the markets and to be taken seriously at a place like Bloomberg, if you can't speak the language of that Mm -hmm. place, like you're not going to make it.
0: That is crazy. And then I remember you also saying that you covered Fukushima, right? Yes. Were so, you in Japan for that? Or were you on the ground here? Oh, so you went to Japan to cover flight. Fukushima. Oh,
2: wow. So I'm running global foreign coverage for Bloomberg television. So that uh-huh. entails like, what do we have coming out of Beijing? What do we got coming out of Europe? What do we got coming out of Dubai, Brazil, etc. every day that's relevant to the American trader, the American audience. Mm-hmm. So it's like the rise of bricks, uh, Dubai debt crisis, Greek debt crisis. So there's some financial heavy stuff, but then some stuff's larger than that. So mm-hmm. there's the massive earthquake in Japan. In fact. In the first few hours, they closed Narita, they closed the airport in Tokyo because there was a crack in the mm. runway. So we're waiting on the tarmac here at Newark. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember we got a couple seats and two rows ahead of us with Anderson Cooper. Oh oh my God. God. <laughs> <laughs> we're deploying at the right time. <laughs> we're in good and company. Anderson. And so we get there thinking that we're covering the aftermath of a tsunami. We land there 18 hours later and discover that the nuclear reactor is having oh issues. Gosh. Right. And it's a very slow drip of information initially. Mm -hmm. So we're like, you know what? We're not going to go north. We're going to hang out in Tokyo, which happens to be, I forget, like 50 or so miles south of the nuclear reactor in Fukushima, 50 to 100 miles. And we start to get that. And then we realize that there's a couple storylines. One is the supply chain. Mm -hmm. This is early, kind of early heads up pre-COVID on how our world requires every country to be functioning yep. for things to be made. Mm-hmm. So Toyota's like, well, we have a factory in northern Japan that does this, we have something out in Western Japan that does this. Like Toyota and a bunch of and then a bunch of American auto manufacturers, again this is the Bloomberg angle. We always have to find the Bloomberg angle here. Mm-hmm. Um, are saying, you know, the, the earthquake impact here is going to impact the supply chain. And mm-hmm. certain things are going to be delayed here. Um, so we're covering that story. But then the nuclear story continues to Bubble because initially the Japanese were playing it down. Right. And it's not quite Chernobyl if you've seen yeah. the HBO yes. series. Oh yes. But definitely in retrospect, well, it felt similar been. to Chernobyl if you look mm-hmm, back at it. Yeah. You're like the like, ah, it's not a thing. Like you can go and I remember the Japanese government saying media can go within a certain number of kilometers of the nuclear power plant. Okay. And the American embassy was like, Don't listen to the Japanese. That's too risky. You need to be oh, double the distance the Japanese are saying. And then I have like my Jewish mother at home in Chicago, who's like, "What are you doing over there?" And like, <laughs> I hear there's radiation and yada yada yada. And I'm like, "Well, I gotta, you know, I gotta cover the story, and you know, we gotta see how close we can get." But at the same time, we we're like, "Well, could there be like an explosion?" There's a lot of chaos happening there. Anyway, needless to say, at some point. Tokyo, they tell all elderly and young kids to leave the city. And Tokyo is not an insignificant city. I mean, it's right. like 20 million plus people, if you count the suburbs. Yeah. So everyone gets on a train. We go down to Osaka, and then we're covering things from southern Osaka, which is, it's like going to, if you were in New York, it's like going down to Baltimore mm-hmm. to cover a situation outside mm-hmm. of New York. And so then, so we were there for a couple of weeks covering that, but I remember we had reporters, some who freaked out a little bit, who were like, I can't cover this, I need to leave the country. Um, it was very touch and go. Because again, when you didn't have assurances from the authorities, I mean, it's yeah. sort of like similarity to the 08 financial crisis. Even the people in charge don't quite know what right. is happening
0: here. Right, um, Well, it's funny because I was on the trading floor at Morgan Stanley at the time and we were trading the headlines. And we all of a sudden had to become like amateur nuclear scientists, which <laughs> yep. I, I'm not, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I remember there was a treasury auction And you're watching the price action going into it. And something is happening. Like the market is rallying and rallying and everyone can't figure out what's going on. And the bond market rallies when there is a risky event, right? People have a flight to quality trade. They buy the safest assets. And everyone's looking for headlines. And I'm watching the Reuters ticker. And there's this tiny little headline in there, and it was something about one of the reactors. And so I don't. Maybe it was you. (laughs) I don't know. Like maybe it was your headline. I don't know. Coming from Bloomberg or something. Oh no! It depends on how
2: much money you made.
0: (laughs) So so I'm sitting there, and everyone on the trading floor is starting to freak out. And I was like, 25 years old at the time. I was like, um. Excuse me? Like, <laughs> there's this headline. And, like, everyone suddenly, like, goes dead quiet. And they're like, what? And I'm trying to read this headline. And it's some, like, extremely technical thing. But I guess, like, one of the reactors was on the precipice of a meltdown. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, reactor three or whatever is uh, 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 about to go. And they're like, what are you trying to say? Spit it out! And, like, I mean, the market's like, whoosh! And yeah. it was just... And I was like the one to like break the headline on the trading floor at Morgan Stanley. And it was, I've never, I mean, I almost peed my pants. I was so terrified. Everyone's standing there yelling at me. I'm red faced, like trying to read this itty bitty little headline. So like, that's what's happening on the other side. You guys are in there real time being like, okay, we're gonna put this out. We think the market's gonna react. And we're on the other side and this, a headline like that comes through that one of these reactors is gonna go. And it's like, everyone is just like, buy, 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 it's nuts.
2: And the thing is, like, you have to figure out, like, who you can trust, or is it a low-level person who doesn't know what they're talking about?
0: It's the 25-year-old analyst who's, like, scrambling to read, who's like,
2: ah! So I'm the 25-year-old, like, producer in the field, talking to the 25-year-old Japanese nuclear deputy whatever. You're reacting. Being read by
0: the 25-year-old English major who, like, suddenly is struggling to figure out what words mean.
2: Lesson (laughs) in life, everybody. There's a bunch (laughs) of kids running the world.
0: That's exactly right. Despite
2: all the elderly people who are actually in the leading positions.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a bunch of us just fumping around. I actually I first heard about you from a mom's group, which is kind of funny. I know your wife is pregnant, which congratulations, yeah. and, and you, you. Was obviously as well. Um, but I, I heard about you, I think it was during COVID, and then I really I think with the Ukraine war the whole russia invasion it was so scary especially living in new york city i mean i was pregnant at the time too so it was like just you're a little heightened i think everyone was and i wanted to understand what was going on is this a world war three situation and uh i just so appreciated how you broke down everything it wasn't just like troops are invading. it was like let's actually explain this whole backstory explain everything and anyway i've been a regular
2: <laughs> regular well, follower. I, I, i'm Wars. glad i was right that it was not world war three despite other- people say mm-hmm. like i'm Knock just like wood. i'm like 99.9 percent i'm pretty sure putin is just bullshitting on the nuclear stuff <laughs> yeah. like i wasn't going to say like 0.1 percent we might all die but like <laughs> 99.9 percent like yeah. unless he's completely lost his mind mm-hmm. he's not going to destroy the world through nuclear weapons right um so i'm glad i was right about that but yeah <laughs> no. I, <too>. I, I, <laughs> we'll but but i remember manhattan had this ill-timed Updating what to do in a nuclear attack. Oh gosh. Like, yes. And yes. I was like, you imbeciles. Yes. Like yes. Like yes. really you chose and it's so funny because in my experience covering government, nine times out of ten is just pure incompetence and yep. not yep. something larger. But to the conspiracy minded among us, they're like, yes. Well, clearly yeah. we're preparing for a nuclear war. I'm like, yeah. no, New York City just <laughs> Didn't get its act together and picked up. character. Oh, that's time.
0: hilarious! They're like, "Well, yeah. it was scheduled for that day, so why would we change it?"
2: So why right. would we not? And I was like, "What is this? 1955? Like shelter? <laughs> First of all, what to do in case of a nuclear attack? We don't need
0: <laughs> not like, much. There's not she much she you're not gonna, gonna do. Yeah. yeah,
2: just hang out and and binge the last you know episode of whatever you're watching on Netflix. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's no. I mean, who wants to live in that world anyway?
0: And so back to something you talked about that was especially salient, obviously, in the post-COVID years. How do you manage kind of like the general, I think, especially with the American public's distrust of the Mm. news now in kind of the modern era after the past, call it five to eight years?
2: You know, what's so interesting is that if you track the collapse of trust, Mm -hmm. it's happened across organizations for the better part of two decades, Mm -hmm. I feel like in the US. You can begin with 9-11 was a shock to the system. Right. That wasn't supposed to happen. Wait, the yeah. CIA didn't know what was going on and mm-hmm. allowed a dozen plus hijackers into the country. Ooh. Right. Then there was a the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we were told that you know, Saddam had nuclear weapons and we need to launch this whole war and invade this country. And what do we find a year later? Oh, actually the whole premise for the war was
0: Bad data, nothing. whoops. Yeah. Bad data, yeah. bad data. <laughs>
2: yeah. bad data. Yeah. Um, Pound ref. And. Uh, <laughs> And then you fast forward and, you know, you've seen the collapse of trust in the FBI and most recently the CDC and the FDA and um, generally government. And then there's certain people for political advantage who take advantage of that being like, you can't trust them. The systems are broken and they're out to get you. And it does come at a time where like, social media has risen. So you're seeing the critique of things in a way that we've never seen before, mm-hmm, right? right? And for good and for bad, organizations and authority figures should be critiqued and mm-hmm. should be questioned. And it is important that people can say, hey, New York Times, you got this wrong. Hey, Washington Post, you got this wrong. Hey, Mosh, you got this wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realized, though, the extent to which people distrusted the media until i left the media mm. like you don't get it when you're inside the bubble i was still at cbs news a couple years ago and actually this is even pre-trump we had like a commercial we were running being like real news cbs <laughs> news and we're like oh if we just run that ad over and over again people will be like oh it's real news if we it's say CBS we're news. real we must yeah. be i once worked at an organization called fox news where we said fair and balanced we're fair <laughs> and balanced <laughs> and people actually repeated it back so there is a tried and true tactic if you repeat it enough People may believe it. But I think that we entered an era in recent years, and for I think there's a lot of uh, reasons here. Some of it is journalists' fault themselves, some of it is just the nature of the mediums that we're getting our information on. The people have lost trust. Mm-hmm. And so, how do I navigate this? I start doing this individually, and people are like, you know, listen, we really trust what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, but I just summarized this guy's story. They're like, yeah, but through your lens, I appreciate that. I trust it. I don't know if I yeah. trust it directly from them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. What has happened here? Mm-hmm. And I think that there is this larger organizational distrust, which is, by the way, a challenge we need to figure out as a democracy, mm-hmm. where yeah. trust in institutions is what our entire society is predicated right. on. If you don't right. trust the police, if you don't trust the judges, yeah. if you don't trust the whatever, then like it's chaos. Right. right? That's why these systems exist. Right. So you're asking the million dollar question. And I was invited last year to give a TEDx talk over in Nashville to talk about this issue Mm. and like how I'm navigating it. And so I have that over on my website on mo.news. We'll
0: put the Um, link in our uh, show notes. I'm excited to watch that.
2: I'm not saying that after the 16 minute TEDx talk, you'll have all the answers, (laughs) but at least you'll have a sense as to how we got here and where we're at. And I think the most important thing, frankly, and I know you guys are doing it on your podcast, is just full transparency. I feel mm-hmm. like I come from a media world where like we need to show people we know what we're talking about no matter what. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're gonna get stuff wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're, frankly, you don't know what you're talking about. And I know behind the scenes, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but on TV, you put forth authority. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, sometimes it's okay to say, listen, this is what we know. This is what yeah. we don't know. And I think there's an appeal there that you're seeing among certain podcasters on social media. Let's just be real here for a second. Yeah. Yeah. We're learning it with you.
1: Well, and I think what I really appreciate about what you do is, I mean, if I were to go read like an article in the New York Times, it's going to take me a while, but also pulling out the actual really important pieces. Like, what is the takeaway? What does this all mean? And that's something that I appreciate so much because the way that you explain the information as well, I think is like why people like it so much and why people go to you. I will read your summary and then go to the New York Times after, but I feel like it's just the way that you distill the information. And um, Jen and I actually were talking about this in another podcast as well, that just, I think a lot of times because there's so much information, I mean, you were saying you check all these different Reuters and Bloomberg. Again, everyone's like busy and they just want to know there is one trusted source. And so you are my news person. I was saying to Jen for like my pregnancy, there was, I don't know if um, Alex has found this yet, but there is this woman, Emily Oster, who wrote Expecting Better. We follow her, And I love her. I mean, she the way that she like breaks down the data. And again, it's not that I don't trust my doctor. I do. But I appreciate also the why the explanation. And um, I think that that is also something where it's like people are smart and they sometimes they want to understand things and they want someone to explain it to them and also like give them the reason for like why.
2: <laughs> and and by the way, sometimes there is no why, right? That's true. That's, that's true. just the way it is. But, I, and that's something yeah. I'm discovering. I mean, listen, my, my wife is six months pregnant now. Mm-hmm. We're due in September and I've that's learned so, so much that's about why things are the way they are. And why is that done that way? And you're like, oh, just cause we always yeah. have done that. Or right. one yeah. doctor once said that, or there's a shoddy study from the 1950s that's- that found that's- X and that is why all women go through why. Yes. Yes. And then even seeing comparatively, like, what are we doing in the U.S. versus the rest of the world? I know, when right, right talking right. about maternal health. And mm, yeah. why do we have so many more C-sections? And, you know, there's so many interesting questions that, uh, candidly, until I entered this phase of fatherhood, I frankly wasn't really. Uh,
0: well, you were like, covering. not my circus, not my monkeys. And then it's like, oh, wait, yeah. every single human on the planet has to be born. Huh. This might matter.
2: Well, totally. And then you have these huge decisions, whether it's like Roe v. Wade and other Mm -hmm. things that like are impacting and you're covering state legislatures who like have no experience with this, who haven't gotten any medical background or medical briefings, are making huge decisions with implications for women's
0: lives. That's the same exact thing about the same politicians who know nothing about the financial (laughs) services industry making the decisions for, you know, We're watching (laughs) it
2: happen all over again with the fall of Silicon Valley Bank, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Suddenly, like, the Dodd-Frank hearings I was covering on Capitol Hill, where I was, like, chasing—it was so funny, actually. I I, I was chasing Barney Frank around Uh in 2009. He was like, we got a crackdown on these (laughs) banks. Okay, fast forward. Barney Frank sitting on the board of Signature Bank, Mm -hmm. which just got shut down. I'm like, wait, the man, the congressman Mm -hmm. who was regulating the industry is sitting there at a bank that just got— Shut down. You couldn't
0: make make this this up up if you tried. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, I have a question for you. Something that my dad likes to talk about all the time is how AI is impacting all of these different Mm. industries that have historically required, I think, an exorbitant amount of brain power and creativity. Um, How, if at all, I mean, I can't imagine the answer is not at all, but I'm curious if it is. Do you see this crazy asymptotic? rise of AI across all these different platforms impacting news and how it's delivered and how it's communicated?
2: Yes, <laughs> at some point.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: don't think we're there yet. Mm-hmm. I think what is key to news is, I mean, it dep- I guess it depends on your taste too, but you know, having a voice. When we go through journalism school, or you start working in the industry, you develop a voice in terms of how you write, how you communicate, how you tell a story. Mm-hmm. AI is still very regimented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You try to tell AI to have a personality, but it's not quite there yet. Now, mm-hmm. it could be there in six months when we talk again. That's how quick this stuff is moving. I think, even I think about this existentially, right? Like I've developed a niche curating the news, you know, aggregating the news for people, breaking things down. Can AI replace me at some point? Can AI do? what I'm doing as a replacement or frankly, how can I leverage AI as an enhancement to do more? potentially, as an yeah, enhancement. step one. Yeah. For my colleagues in kind of the national media and local media, I have not seen like full use implementation of AI mm-hmm. for script writing, for story summaries, et cetera. Now keep in mind ChatGPT four just with the add-on recently allowed you to have data beyond twenty twenty one. So for news, it was irrelevant until very, very recently mm-hmm. because everything stopped in 2021. But I, yeah. but I played with it recently, I think it was the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. Mm-hmm. I was like, ChatGPT, write me a four paragraph summary of the latest of the Gwyneth Paltrow trial. Mm-hmm. And then I did it with BARD, with Google BARD, the competitor. Uh-huh. By the way, BARD did a phenomenal job, ChatGPT so-so. But I was like, oh my God, I could almost use this wow. on my feed um, because the summary, they hit the key points. So listen, I think in the news space, To get your headlines, you know, if they can learn what Jennifer wants, what Kristen wants, I think there's an opportunity there. Does that potentially put journalists out of a job? Yeah. At the same time, all the people who like fearmongering and stuff, I was like, well, there was a time before the printing press, there was a time before the car, there was a time before the plane, there was a time before the telegraph, there was a time before the fax machine, time before the internet. We all kind of figured it out. Now, the transition itself is rough, right? Mm -hmm. Because people will have to learn new skill sets. And it'll in the same way it'll replace jobs, ideally it'll also create jobs. That is if AI doesn't completely destroy us, which, you
0: know. Oh, yeah, I, I, which I'm in that camp. I'm in the Terminator camp. But I think you touched on something really interesting, which is the concept of having a voice in relaying the news. And I yeah. think, too, what's lost in all of this is as a consumer of news, it's oftentimes hard for us to remember that, hey, guess what? In order for you to be putting out this story on Instagram. Somebody somewhere had to tell someone a story, and then that had to get told to another person, right? And there's this human chain of telephone that happens in order for that information to get transmitted in the first place. There's not some AI overlord yet, at least, who's sitting everywhere. There is an asymmetry of information, and that's Mm -hmm. where journalists, where salespeople, where anyone who's, who's operating in that space adds value. And I think as long as that asymmetry of information is is still part of the process, there's always going to be that human element that's completely necessary and I think irreplicable.
2: And I think there's something in explaining the news or explaining Wall Street that like AI ain't replicating anytime soon. Mm-hmm. It's not the what happened. What happened, AI can replicate. AI, tell me what happened. It's the why do I care? Does it yeah. matter mm-hmm. to me? Yep. Yeah. Like give me historical yeah. context that's relevant to me. Mm-hmm. Or the most significant question in news I've gotten in the last three years. Should I be worried about this? Yeah. Should I be, yes. should I be freaking out about this? Ask AI. Yeah. Ask yeah. AI. You're like, well, I don't know if you should be right. freaking out about it. And Statistically, like,
0: you, know. you have a 72% chance of whatever getting <laughs> <I'm> dying. <laughs> it,
2: it, exactly. Whereas I, I followed this website during COVID called Stat News. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys were following it. And it's like a, a data-based health website. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it became my go-to because of all the fear-mongering in the media about mm. you know, a new variant. I mean, I'm still seeing it now. They're like, will there be a new outbreak of COVID this and I'm like from July 4th I was like what year are we living <laughs> right in this right point, right and stat news was very data focused and they mm-hmm. were just looking at the numbers and I remember looking at omicron out of South Africa that was, was scary like, initially right but then you look at the hospitalization yeah, numbers which were not, not being well yeah, covered by yeah. American media mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of South African sources and they're like no one's going to the hospital right and, and they're like well is it because South Africa has a younger population I was like no I just My gut is we're overreacting on Omicron like it's not Delta, like it's something has shifted. And it turned out to be right. And it was database and stat news was just like, not saying don't be worried, but just like, look at the numbers compared to the previous ones. And that's what we ended up discovering. And so I think that if you just focus on the data when it comes to stories, that's important. That's where AI can help. But then discerning that mm-hmm. data. And Without
0: the that meaning, piece of your intuition well, that you mentioned, yeah. that data would have right. maybe had a totally different interpretation.
1: Well, it's right. interesting, too, because I remember and I was freaked out about like Omicron or COVID in general, because again, I was pregnant. And I was just like, well, yeah. how does most of Chris's how does that, stories start you know? with I was pregnant. <laughs> I also have three kids. That's why. So it's funny, because if you are someone who's sitting there like I'm a pregnant woman, and I want to know, is this going to like harm my child? And there's no information. It's like, well, statistically, you're not going to die. But it's like, well, but is my child going to be born with like two? Heads, what's yeah. actually going to happen there? Back to your point, it's like answering the question of Does it matter to me? That does it matter to me is like the most critical part.
2: And, and I have to say that I felt like the health officials did a disservice when they reassured people when they had no information.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Whether
2: it's the mask stuff, oh, whether gosh. it's the yeah. you know they didn't have data for you when you were yeah. pregnant, Kristen. No, yeah. I. But I remember, they wanted. To, yeah. They wanted to reassure you. Don't worry, it'll be fine. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't know. Yeah. Um,
1: and then that breeds distrust. I was like just trying to find any raw data I could on. Is the Zika like what is this thing? and no, like, and, and
2: and the only data, no data we had was from China, China which yeah. was lying about their data. Exactly. So, it's still funny looking at the chart of deaths and cases yep. worldwide, and China's like seven. <laughs> yes, we know. Come yeah.
0: China. Other questions for you. Many of our listeners are youths, are young people who are thinking about, you know, the different industries that they're going to go into. Obviously, part of our goal is to educate people about opportunities in the financial services industry, but we don't care what they do, right? They can go <laughs> anywhere. We just want them to be happy. Do you think that young people are I mean, I remember when I when I was a wee young thing.
2: How are we defining I, I, young, by the way? Because I still feel pretty young today.
0: I know. Uh, I, I feel like I'm a thousand years old, but that's because I haven't slept in two <laughs> nights because my kid was sick. But, oh. um, yeah, get ready for that. Um, <laughs> oh, I know. I know.
2: <laughs> Although you're I was, used
0: to not sleeping.
2: I'm yeah, used to true. not sleeping. I've been training my whole life for father. <laughs> this son. is going
0: to be the 3 a.m. news shift only. Less vodka. Well, maybe. I'm Right, right. It's not going to be like
2: there's a terror attack in X place. It'll be like... <laughs> kid is sick. kid can't sleep. (laughs) Diaper change. Right. Not like actual news nightmare, like nightmare in their head. Oh, God.
0: Exactly. But so when we were coming of age kind of in the late 90s, early 2000s, journalism was this incredibly aspirational thing. It was like, oh, so-and-so is a journalist. They are part of this well-respected intellectual elite who have so much insight and skill and knowledge. And I'm curious as to your take, you know, we talked a little bit about the role of mistrust in all of this, but there are still very well-respected, well-liked people in the news out there these days. Clearly, you've become one of them in helping democratize the news for so many people. Do you see young people coming up into that career? And like, what is the path for them now? And is that different from what it used to be when you were, say, manning the wires
2: Yeah. I mean, significantly in terms of options. So Mm -hmm. there was a traditional route that you took in journalism where you might begin in local news, Mm -hmm. move your way through the markets. And by markets, I mean size of markets. So like the biggest media market is New York, number one, LA is two, Chicago is three, Houston is four but you'd begin in like market 150, like Poughkeepsie. You move your way through the markets, you're doing the 5 a.m. show, the noon show, and the 9 p.m. show, you're getting paid $18,000 a year. By the way, you're still getting paid $18,000 a year years later. And then you eventually make your way to network. If you were off air, like a producer, you might be able to start at a network level. I was very lucky to be able to go to school in Washington, D.C. and get an internship at a national network and mm-hmm. immediately jump into that whole world. And so there are opportunities there. now. The great thing about social media now is and you guys were just talking about TikTok at the beginning of this, Mm -hmm. is that you have the ability to create your own channel. Mm -hmm. I I did it, you've done it, I meet kids now, you know, I speak at high schools and like where kids have their own podcasts already. And I'm like, how many downloads are you getting? I'm like, like, Probably way more than
0: we are. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes. Um I, I have some 14-year-olds to introduce you to, yeah, and can't wait. Um, I mean that's you know how does Charlie D'Amelio and some of these like TikTokers start? Like right? they start mm-hmm. in high school, like dancing on TikTok. Yep. And so, if only when I in the mid '90s had the ability yep. to have my own media, yep. you know, you can start your own newsletter for free. You can start your own podcast for free. You can pick your social media platform of choice, whether it's YouTube or Instagram or TikTok. Start doing what it is you're passionate about already mm-hmm. on your own. Because yeah. guess what, it's reversing itself. We're already here in terms of the major media brands looking to the creators mm-hmm. to be like, give me some of that Juju,
0: mm-hmm.
2: let me hire you. I want right. your audience. Mm-hmm. Like, And I sit here at NBC or CNN or whatever. So my recommendation to anybody is, if you're passionate about journalism, news, or creating of any sort, whether it's lifestyle yeah. content or hard news content or financial content, et cetera, you have all the platforms at your disposal to start right. to build that. Now, of course, nothing quite replaces the training that you would get- The expertise. Yes. The expertise, and also just like improving your writing improving Mm -hmm. how to tell a story. And that's where, like, working at a major organization, don't sit there and be like, well, I have half a million followers. Great, mazel tov. At the same time, you can always be better. You can always write better. You can always write tighter. You can always tell a story better. That's something I was so thankful for when I was at CBS News. I was there for 10 years. And some of the people I got to work with there came from the school of literal of Walter Cronkite. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can explain the Middle East to you in 60 seconds. I can explain really complex subjects for a mass audience at home, because they've done it for decades. Mm -hmm. And you know what's better than five words? Three words. You know what's better than three words? One word. And learning to be able to do that in a concise way, in a straightforward way, you can't figure that out on your own. That's That's where you do need that. You
0: know. We always talk well, about that Winston Churchill quote, right? Like, I'm sorry I read a long speech. I didn't have yes. time to write a short one, right? Yep. Well,
1: because like- Jen and I have been trying to do this because we're trying to take these complex topics, let's explain like a DCF, a leverage buyout, a merger, and, and do it in a way that is A, going to like grab someone's attention who's swiping in like the first three seconds Yeah. and B the hook. is concise they enough right the hook, the hook and then yeah. B concise enough that they'll actually learn something in three minutes i mean i used to teach this stuff and i would have nine to five for ten days and now it's like i need to teach this in three minutes and, and that's still there's still a place for that and we still need
0: yes, oh, yeah, yeah. that kind of teaching but yep. everyone wants these nuggets for everything in their life now not yep. just news headlines but everyone wants how do i become a master chef by watching three Instagram videos. How do I become a professional pickleball player by watching oh, a YouTube or, video? Or
2: based on my Instagram algorithm recently, how do I become the best father ever? Aww. Know like, Aww. I... I They've learned me quickly. Like I'm waking up and I'm like sending this to like sending various things to my wife. And she's like, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, I know that. (laughs) I'm like, look at how this person does the diaper change. Your
0: feeds are all synced up. Kristen and I share a social media account for our business. So now I get the stuff that's directed at her and she gets the stuff that's directed at me. I get the real
1: estate stuff and she's getting like big time adulting
0: and by the real estate stuff it's also like how to make this cocktail recipe (laughs) how to deep fry a croissant um well this has been absolutely incredible mush is there anything that you'd like to touch on that we didn't hit on that you think is critical for our listeners to understand about your work your goals what you're kind of looking to accomplish next
2: uh well first of all it was great to connect with you two and i'm looking forward to you know whether it's the next financial crisis or any story having a relationship with you guys, because totally. I I, it's important for us to find like minded people that are all, you know, have the same goal, which is to like inform and educate, but do it in a conversational way. Yeah. Um, you know, like I like to explain to people who work with me, I'm like, explain this to your grandmother.
0: Yes, that's what yes. I say. That's exactly <laughs> what we say. And I'm like, by the way, my grandma was not in the financial services industry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> explain a credit default swap to your grandmother. Yes. Right. Yep. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Explain the Supreme Court to your grandmother. Explain mm-hmm. the Trump indictment to your grandmother. And so I think the more of us out there doing this, I think that's partially the solution to misinformation and distrust Mm -hmm. that like, you know, and we're fighting the good fight because by the way, there's a lot of people out there who like are putting out not just bad information, like actually doing harm, harmful information. And that upsets me to no end. And it's one of the things that led me to this at the beginning of COVID. I remember my wife getting a text message from somebody being like, they're going to lock down all the bridges to New York. Uh, martial law. I'm like, yeah. no, they're not. I have somebody at NYPD and DHS. They would never do that. Yeah. You're and like, not, also,
0: they're I... still running those stupid nuclear simulation on the same timer. You really think that they're going to sync up a lockdown of all the bridges I, <laughs> they can't I, get I, I go, you think
2: New York City could lock down Manhattan? <laughs> like, I know. Lived... Like, first of all, you guys all live in New York. You know better than this. They can't. Yeah, they'd all wow. be stuck
0: in traffic trying to get to the meeting to talk about locking down the bridges. <laughs> and, and, forget it.
2: And so, like, that was one of my first posts. It was yeah. Was like, brilliant. everyone, yeah. stop spreading misinformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or in this case, it turned out to be disinformation because of the Chinese government trying to mess with us to sow chaos in our society. Anyway, right. long story short, <laughs> your, to the answer to your question. You can follow me over at at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H over on Instagram. We try to cover 20, 30 stories a day. I put out a morning podcast. It's out every morning about 4.45 a.m. Uh, the Mo News podcast, two words, M-O News. We have a newsletter where we do a deep dive into one subject every day, the Mo Newsletter. You can find all of that at mo.news. So I would love if anyone listening to this yes. follows me. I love feedback. So please, I try to answer as many direct messages as I can. Yep. The respectful ones. The you
1: ones. answered ours. We were like fangirling. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, if our listeners get nothing else out of this, go follow Mo. She is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, forget Mark, about is... finance. Go listen. Yeah, learn go. <laughs> about the world.
2: Well, no, I, you, I think we're, uh, we're tag teaming this. Mm-hmm. There we uh, go. You guys are going to manage all the finance stuff. And you're like, <laughs> for Ukraine? Yeah, over to Moj. Well, yeah. no, and,
0: and again, for so many people, we did do an episode on understanding what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic Bank because mm. even so many of the smartest people in our industry are like, wait, what happened with that? I wasn't really paying yeah. attention. Like, The what smartest people on. in the industry
2: are one of the reasons that collapsed the bank. I mean, I, <laughs> I am a customer of RIP First Republic. So,
0: sorry, yeah.
2: <laughs> that was bought by J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And yep. why did that happen? A variety of factors, but partially the, some of the smartest people in finance on their Telegram threads and WhatsApp threads, like, brought down these banks. It was like a run on the bank? Yeah. And, and, but, and then uh, I was like, oh, my God, do I, I, I don't want to take money out of the bank. I really love this bank. Yeah. But like, if I need to make payroll next week, I need to take some money out of this bank right now. Yeah. And by the way, is that over yet? I don't know. But know. like, and then suddenly I remember covering Credit Suisse and being in Zurich and covering Credit Suisse and UBS in 2009, 2010. And I'm like, oh, my God, UBS was able to buy credit. Suisse.
0: One of those doesn't exist anymore. And how what? did this happen? And what was I'm, the Swiss government doing? Maybe you can yeah. explain what the Swiss government was thinking.
2: I'm going to kick that back over to you guys. <laughs>
0: Um, But no, this has been incredible. We are so, so grateful for you. Your insight is invaluable. And we are definitely bringing you back on for the next kind of big thing to explain. (laughs) We
2: we have 18 months of this election. So I'm happy to come back and (laughs) try to explain this one.
0: This is outstanding. Well, congratulations to you on all your success and growing your family. We're so thrilled for you. And
1: thank you again for your time.
2: Thanks for having me on. Bye.
1: Thank you so much for listening to The Wall Street Skinny. We are more than just a podcast. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at The Wall Street Skinny. If you're a visual learner, we have content that will help get you up the curve from valuation to Excel to Bond Fundamentals 101. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we will be publishing in-depth tutorials on all this and more.